Hello and welcome to the Headstuff Podcast. This is episode 32 with uh, Stephen Fingleton and Martin McCann uh, and also Connor. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. Uh, so Stephen Fingleton is a writer, director um, of the movie The Survivalist, which is out now. And Martin McCann is the star. He is The Survivalist. Uh, and it's it's really good. And we had a great conversation with the two lads. Very good conversation. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, it's great. Um, it is great. It was really interesting. And, yeah. And, um, I actually learned some... I, I love talking to people like that who are kind of just part of this thing that I'm nothing to do with and yeah. I don't know. I love hearing the ins and outs and the behind the scenes and what's it like what does this mean yeah and they were so good and you know yeah Stephen Stephen explained so well about yeah you know movie festivals and yeah yeah it's really interesting stuff yeah he's a he's a writer director he's made uh, a good few um short films like uh, magpie which was kind of to show that he could make the survivalist and slr and and sheeran and um he's really really passionate about filmmaking um and he he gets really into talking about kind of giving young directors a chance and and, yeah. and supporting homegrown talent and and that kind of thing, and um, there's a great bit in this in this uh, interview where he he goes off on it and uh, but in a really good way and yeah, yeah 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 he's he's probably um, right you know and uh, it's just great from to hear him. a place that of someone who's been there yeah you know in that situation and he's so passionate about his art. And you can see the passion. I mean, oh, yeah. we could see it when we were talking to him, but I'm sure you can hear it in it as well. Yeah. And it's, it make, I think it makes for a really interesting uh, conversation. So, um, yeah, that's really fun. Yeah. So no, was, yeah. enjoy that, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin McCann was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> totally different kind of person, but they were like this great double act. Uh, so great to talk to both of them. <laughs> this conversation goes in. Uh, I love that he was eating a packet of crisps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> walked yeah. into the into the room and just picked up a packet of crisps. Like, do you mind if I eat this in the podcast? Yeah. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, don't do that. That's going to be really loud. <laughs> I could just see him eyeing them up the entire the yeah. entire way through. I, I fully expected him to like put his feet up on the table, lean back, and just eat the crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he was uh, yeah he was really funny um, so and the two of them really funny together the conversation starts in a totally different place to where it ends up yeah <laughs> it's like true. it's like yin and yang conversation but um, uh, yeah it I was think great talking to them really really good talking to them, talking to them. Yeah. Um, and The Survivalist is out now in a few probably a good few cinemas um, so you go and watch it it's really really good and well worth the watch Um so we should just go straight into the conversation with uh, with Stephen Fingleton and Martin McCann, uh, episode thirty one, uh, episode thirty two of the Headstuff Podcast. Pickled peppers, <laughs> cup of tea, tea, tea. <laughs> <laughs> You're putting that pop filter to the test. <laughs> I always like well it's the moth that's protecting I always like to put a moth to the test you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's see how low the podcast can stoop let's, let's <laughs> you need to get the moth quite close to your, your mouth get, get the, you know you need to breathe upon the moth yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to just you know you don't need to wrap your mouth around anything you just need to breathe upon that moth mm. what else uh, I'm going to take some gold. notes here <laughs> you, well, you should smell it first <laughs> <laughs> breathe breathe through your teeth uh, do you do vocal warm up things when you're do you do them when you're acting? Do you do any? Uh, I remember being a, 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 having a theatrical background. 
I remember uh, watching other actors go out on stage and shout to the back of the auditorium, cup of tea, cup of tea, <laughs> cup of tea. Uh, I would go down to the green room, have a smoke and actually have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's, that's what type of actor I am. Yeah, all right. Uh, you've been doing interviews all day, I believe. Have you done any vocal warm-ups today? Or? I've been doing some vocal warm-ups. Were you doing any vocal warm-ups last night, Marty? Uh, what is this called? It's called <laughs> Muff. All right. Um, <laughs> no, no, there were no vocal warm-ups last night. Okay. Is that is it actually called a Muff? Is it called uh, a Muff? No. I think it's called a Muffler. No. Muff, is, muff, muff is the pet name I give to it. <laughs> Everything's called a Muff. Yeah, muff. Okay. I mean, the other thing you can call is Rosebud, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> mm. So have you have you two worked before, together before, or uh, this is the first, and it'll certainly be the last. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we've never we we we've done a, a short film together called Magpie, okay. which was the precursor to the Survivalist. Um, Stephen made the short film Magpie, and that's where he met me. We actually met in Galway Film Festival. That was the first time we'd kind of properly met. We'd met before that, but the first time we properly met was Galway Film Festival, and he put me in a short film Magpie, which was a brilliant piece of work, right, to show the BFI that. You know his concept, the film, the survivalist. Um, he could, he could, he could cut the chops and actually make that into into a okay. feature. But on this, on the on Magpie, I, I convinced him to put me in the role as uh, 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 in the survivalist. So I, I like to see Magpie as the highest production audition <laughs> tape I've ever done. Okay, even with the director, you'll eventually be working with. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was. A, I mean, I really went to town on that tape. Because okay, the point about Magpie, and it's a bit of a spoiler because you can see the film online um, right. if you look for it. Is uh, Martin's character gets killed at the end. Right. Therefore, there's you know when you're going to see a feature, but I mean like what is it? Is it going to be a zombie film? Is, is he is he back? Oh, uh, <laughs> but uh, but so his his character was written specifically uh, for that specific role. Right, quite a different that. character from the one I play in the Survivalist. Okay, well. ex- ex- extremely different. And if you if you watch the films, even if you look at the stills, um, we shot Magpie in February 2014. We were shooting Survivalist in June. Mm-hmm. Um, of that year, and there's a complete physical transformation. Okay. Um, and we transitioned to that character, I think, quite elegantly. I think we began with this guy who's living outside in the woods by his wits, um, and then we moved to this character in a cabin who'd been more secure in there for a long time. And the kind of the governing note was, the cold has gotten into your bones. Right. And there's an element of the arthritic, almost that idea of time has, has really weaved in a, uh, an effect on this character. Uh, that was kind of the way into creating the survivalist. Mm. Okay. Um, so you shot in June in Northern Ireland somewhere. I um, a mix of Ballymoney and um, what's what's the park in Belfast called? Um, there's a cent- there's a park there's an amazing forest park right mm-hmm. in the uh, the centre of Belfast. Oh, right. Glen Owen Glen. Oh, is that with the uh, there's botanical gardens in there and it's near the university? Is that the place? No, um, it's in Jordanstown. Oh, right. um, oh okay. Uh, I think it's yeah, it's, it's like Glen Forest Park, something like that. So, was there any uh, like uh, hardship in 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 the shoot? Like, was it d- did you kind of rough it to like you know for authenticity or something? Or um, well, well, Martin, we sent on a on a survival course. Oh, cool. um, with uh, survival NI. Yeah, yeah. If you want to go and learn how to live off the land, did you have to like Sweet. skin a rabbit and? Well, yeah, yeah, actually, I did. I. Uh, how did you enjoy doing that kind of thing? I mean, I didn't kill the poor thing. I was <laughs> already dead when I when I when I got it. But um, but yeah, they taught me how to skin a rabbit and taught me how to kind of what to eat, what not to eat, oh, okay. what to look for, you know, uh, 
how to protect yourself at night, how to stay warm. Okay. You know, no houses, no 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 cell phones, none of that. Just properly living off the land with a, you know, pen knife, so to speak. And how do you how do you think you'd actually fare of it if there was an actual zombie apocalypse? Well, I realized then that I would, well, I'd have been hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But so. uh, a little bit better now. Okay. Right. And the other kind of major thing in terms of uh, preparation for the role was was something we learned in Magpie, is that if you're making a film set in a time of starvation, yeah. um, you know, uh, you need you need to lose weight. You yeah. need to have um, a heavy diet going into it so that your physicality reflects the truth of the situation. Otherwise, you're making something like Planet of the Apes or Rise of the Planet of the Apes, where you've got all these buff <laughs> Venice Beach extras <laughs> milling around looking decidedly healthy in a, in a time of where the resources are so bad. Monkeys and men are, yeah. are duking it out <laughs> for a, you know, a tin of spuds. Um, and that, know, I, never, I never thought about that before. Yeah, it, like. <laughs> so, so it was there very... There was nothing uh, but protein bars. Right. No, uh, no. Uh, well, well, no the, diet, the diet was important. I mean, yeah. if you look at my pie, I look like, you know, I've never been a fat person or anything like that, but if you look at uh, my pie... I look like a normal person living today that's able to walk around the corner and get a fish and chips. And, yeah, okay. You know, um, but if you look at the survivalist, um, it's, it's, it's hard to look thin on camera. Like when you're on camera, yeah. you know, a thin person looks normal. Right. You know, and a normal person looks really a little bit healthy, yeah, probably yeah. too much health. You know, it puts on about 10 or 12 pounds. So sort of, sort of, sort of look thin or to look authentically like I was living off the land. I had to I had to eat accordingly so and it wasn't easy you know because I love I love my food. What did yeah. you have to drop? How, long, how much weight did you have to drop? I, well, I, well, there's not much to me anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. so from, so from I, your current weight now, though. from like a, maybe a stone of but proper right? proper weight, not water. water weight. Right. So you know, people lose twelve pounds of this and twelve pounds overnight. Mm. It's yeah. all water weight that yeah, comes yeah. back on once you get the fluids back and the salt back. To, to to properly lose actual body mass of a, of, of, of of a stone. When you're when you're you know when you're ten stone or eleven stone, it's uh, or stone and a half. It's it's hard. It's yeah. hard. Mm. And and uh, if you look in the movie, Martin Skin, for example, is is, is tight as a drum. Okay. Um, and you're kind of shocked when you first get a good look at him because of, of how sharp his features are. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, we had the nutritionist from Hunger oh, um, right. advise advise the cast. Uh, Martin was doing the the prep from pretty far out because you know we wanted a almost delineation between how he looked. And, and, and the women, they all needed to have lost weight, but Martin needed to be, be the furthest gone. Right. And it was, it was very arduous because that continued into the shoot as well. Because if you start eating, you're going to pick up the water weight. Uh, it's going to reflect on camera. Um, and, and that's hugely challenging when you're shooting a film, long days, long hours, mm. and you're having to deliver yeah. the whole time. Um, and does that make you then more tired? Are you like, yeah. are you kind of wrecked all the time yeah. then? More emotional. Uh, right. More emotional. Did you get into fisticuffs? Never with Stephen, I'd say. No. Uh, no. Me and Stephen were pretty good. Um, but I, you know, when, you, when you're dieting and everything, you just, you know, it's like giving up smoking. It's like, quit. It's like constantly quitting smoking. You know? <laughs> like being in this constant state of nicotine withdrawal or something. Right. Like, you know? Yeah, it doesn't sound... It doesn't seem like the type of movie where you're shooting all day and then it's like you wrap at the end of the day and everyone goes to the pub for... You know, kind well, of to well, celebrate the day. Well, the actors obviously couldn't because yeah. they couldn't drink. Um, so if you're shooting with a Northern Irish crew, the crew um, are it's good times. Plus, yeah. this was near Portrush. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So this was shooting exactly. in Ballymoney. Yeah. Uh, but for the actors, it's you got to hold yourself away and wherever you're staying. And even the con because the content would be quite bleak. You know, in the the world that you've kind of created there, 
So well, well everyone took it very seriously. Yeah. Um, I think you know it, it, it's immersive when you're in the forest, but it was important to have respite in the evenings so those characters, those so my actors could could go as deep as they did. Mm. Um, you can go to much darker places. Um, you know, if if you know it's 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 not something that's that, you know it's going to last forever. You can you can show characters who feel that way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really I think that's really important because this was all about providing the best possible process for the cast mm. to explore and to create their characters and to be those characters on screen. Yeah. Um, and if, for example, you're, you're spending four hours traveling to some remote location and then four hours back, that's eight hours we are cast aren't doing the work. Yeah. You know? And so this was all about the work and providing an arena and a space and an environment where they could become that. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about it when... I was watching, it's kind of in a way comparable to The Revenant, which also came out this year in, mm-hmm. in terms of, I suppose, the hardship and just the, you know, the great outdoors. And there's other things like paranoia and um, lack of technology, and, you know, all that, those kind of things and a great central performance. Um, which do you think is better? It's no brainer. The survivalist is much better. <laughs> well, it's I, you have to say it, but um, it's it's it is. It's well, they so had one hundred and fifteen million. Yeah, <laughs> had eight hundred thousand or whatever it was. Yeah, but, uh, but dollars, you know, God bless them. Well, it wasn't, we, we wasn't don't exactly one hundred fifteen million pounds. We 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 don't have uh, a bear, but we mm. um, you know do have you know uh, an eroticism that's mm. completely lacking in the Revenant. And it's one of the challenges with the film. Yeah, is it's it's. I it, thought the bear scene was pretty erotic. <laughs> it's gonna leave that so I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't the only one I, exactly. I feel okay man yeah. I was watching it thinking I feel all weird this, am I should I be thinking this feeling yeah. this should I be feeling this god I hope the bear comes back into this later on yeah. we're going what? straight to the zoo after this film <laughs> but, but in, in that film the location was very much yeah. a major character and it's essentially a, a two-hander about Leo and the location right and the best stuff in the film is about this where as this the forest is less of a character it's more an aural character and the, the camera's continually on the actors faces so it's quite different in that respect yeah um, yeah it, it, in a way it does kind of highlight the difference between whatever hundreds of millions they had and the, whatever your budget was um, I think it was one million well, right so it's a, a, a very small percentage of what, what they had um, and it, it shows how well I mean because there's not a huge like difference in like I don't I didn't notice any difference in quality of how the film looks or anything like that the same camera we, we both shot in an Alexa right we shot in the same camera yeah as the Revenant. and also yours was like in I don't know how, how how many locations but it could conceivably have all been within a few hundred meters of the cabin Yes, that's correct. You're not. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we could come up with scenes, and we could find a location very quickly. Right. Again, it's all driven by the actor's imagination, or, or what the HODs were coming up with, or, right. or, or if I had an idea for a scene. We were able to create that space. And the Revenant, if they said, for example, right, we'd love to do a scene um, where something happens, you know, uh, in, a, in a stretch of forest, and they'd be like, well, it's going to take half a day to travel yeah. to the nearest part of forest because here we are. So they're quite rigidly defined by their location recce, whereas we were wrecking throughout the shoot and finding spaces for us to do work. How does that then affect how the screenplay was written? Like, How different was it from before the shoot and after the shoot? What was the process like, Martin, for you? Uh, well, I mean, when I got the script, you know, it was one of the better scripts that I've ever read. It was in um, the top half, I think. It, well, right. it was certainly a top 12. Okay. Top 12. It was the l- lower tier of the top, top 12. Top 12 <laughs> of the bottom. Of the how many scripts group. have you read? How many? Uh, f- 13. Okay, right. Um, <laughs> That's not bad. That's pretty good. 
so when I turned down the Revenant for the survivalist, <laughs> um, um, no, the, that the, the process was this. Was... The process was such: um, if we got it on its feet and we rehearsed it, no matter whether it was the, uh, you know in the cabin or, or at the lake or at the doesn't matter where it was, when we got it on its feet, if it didn't sound right and it didn't feel right, okay. we didn't do it. Okay. You find another way through, and and I tried never to ask the cast to do anything they didn't feel was very real. So uh, one of the great examples in the film is there's a there's a section um, where the women are negotiating their way inside. Once the dialogue ends, that's been entirely designed essentially by me asking the actors what choices would you make here, mm. and so we created a whole scene um, and kind of this kind of quite int- mumbled kind of dialogue. Uh, that's quite um, off the cuff, feels very naturalistic, which I could never have written because there were you know, three other brains working on it and thinking very clearly about their characters and negotiating mm-hmm. them. It's like, it's, like, it's like playing chess. Everyone's like moving their, their own pieces around the board and you're seeing how to assemble. So this is where he's holding the gun. He's like, sit down, get up. All that, yeah. All oh, right. Yeah, and yeah that was really tense. It was really well done. Yeah. yeah. So it's unusual in a film to get the freedom to kind of create those sort of scenes or spaces. And there's yeah. so many things in the film I could give examples of that came from from suggestions or actor ideas, right? Um, but uh, it, I didn't have time to make the script that I wrote work. But I did have time to make scenes work uh, with with the cast. And the better thing was it was richer. Right. It was full of their. Um, it was full of their. Uh, you know, the things they wished to get across with their character. Maybe some aspects of their personality um, or their philosophy. Um, and, and that was great because then it felt very organic. Mm. Um, one of the millstones around my neck was the script because the script had received a lot of coverage. It was on the, the blacklist in America for the best unmade scripts. Oh, okay. It right. topped the UK Brit list, uh, bracket NI. And <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was regarded as a very writerly piece. But the thing I like the most in terms of the reaction we've had to the film is all that is washed away. The words have washed away. And it's a story told by the performers, not the screenwriter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Martin, when you were um, when you f- first saw the script, maybe there was more dialogue in it at the time. But were you ever kind of did it ever worry you, or did it ever t- like did you ever have to kind of overthink, I suppose, about how you were going to do this film with with a, 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 such a low amount of dialogue, or was there more dialogue at the start? Look, I you know, I think I've got to the stage now. Uh, I've been doing this long enough that I don't open up a script and count how many words <laughs> I have or I haven't. But I know that's not your question. Um, <laughs> You know, a scene's a scene. Right. Um, I think people will think, geez, there was not many, not many lines in that script. It must have been a very short script. That's not how it works. All, all the action, where there is no lines of dialogue, there's action in its place. Mm. And, uh, and we had to go off of that. And uh, I also feel that if there's not a lot of dialogue, then how do you get across what you mean, what you're doing, how you're feeling? And I think that's ultimately the most important thing. Um, with yeah. any with any character you play, even as I, even if, as I sit here now, I'm not overly thinking about what I'm saying, but I know how I'm feeling and I know what I'm trying to convey. Yeah, and I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, that's that's kind of my question because I, I think that's more difficult a, a job. Um, I'm not an actor, so I don't actually know what it is. Mm. But it seems more difficult to be able to convey all those emotions without without dialogue. Well, it's a double edged sword, you know. Right. Uh, there's 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 the the tendency to, you know. If you've got a lot of lines, you know, tendency to focus on them, that can take you out of the moment. So if you've no lines, you can stay in the moment. You've nothing 
Right. You can just stay in the moment, be in the moment. But also, there's nowhere really to hide, you know. Mm. If you're not feeling it, um, you know, you've no sort of dialogue to hide behind. Right. You know? Okay. So one interesting thing is um, it's easier, I think, to get stronger uh, performances or to give a performance if there isn't dialogue uh, in many cases, as long as the character wouldn't be saying dialogue at that point in time, as in they feel this makes sense as a scene. Um, I think you can do dialogue scenes obviously really, really well, but mm. it requires lots and lots and lots of rehearsal. We had four days rehearsal going into this. Right. And so basically the rehearsal was really on the set. For the whole movie? Yeah, the whole movie. Wow. Um, Why is that? Is that just time constraints or what's... When you make a kind of a guerrilla film, uh, which is the sort of films I was making before, and guerrilla as in guerrilla filmmaking, yeah. um, you have complete control over the process. Yeah. But when you make a film for a million pounds, there is a perceived professional way of creating that film and shaping it, and there are different demands and expectations. And I find I had less influence over the production. Personally, I would have shot for less time and spent many, many more weeks rehearsing. Right. Um, but the pressure of the situation we found ourselves in meant we had to find the directest road to the best version of the scenes. Okay. Um, and the way I found to do that was uh, to not shoot as many shots, uh, to not change location as much as I needed to, uh, to just focus on that time alone with the actors at the start of the day where we're in the cabin, we're all working together, and we're going through all the scenes we'll do. And then we invited the crew in and showed we what we came up with. Oh, right, okay. That's an interesting way of doing it then. Um, did you expect the when you were making it did you, did you expect the kind of reaction it got i mean like obviously you knew you were happy with what you were making and you wanted to make a thing like a, a great thing um but did you know you'd have so many kind of words he was on the poster like masterful captivating superb phenomenal were you, did you was there a sense of, of it was really working when you were in the shoot i said to one of the producers you know what's the point in doing this film if we're not trying to make a classic? Mm. And, and his perspective was, you can't set out to make a classic. And it's an interesting point, which is there's maybe an arrogance in trying to do that. But what I'm really opening myself up by trying to do that is failure. And by stating that with people, we're going to try and make something exceptional, something that will stand the test of time. If it's not even a good film, it's a mediocre film, or it's a bad film, um, then obviously there's much more opprobrium on me, there's much more embarrassment and such like, because I'm responsible. But I felt we had to do that. And when I knew we were onto something special was the first day of rehearsal, where we go through the script, we take out about 10 pages, you know, based on what everyone is feeling, and then we start getting it on its feet. And when I saw how these three actors, how Martin, Alwyn and Mia interacted, um, I just knew it was going to be good. So whether people would see it or not was a different issue. It took us a long time to get into a festival. Okay. Um, you know, there was a number of festivals that passed on the opportunity, um, and I think they made a mistake. Yeah. Um, and then we got into Tribeca, which is a really good festival. Uh, it's got quite an American focus, not mm. so much international. So this film won't necessarily be widely seen around the world. It'll be in America and here in Scandinavia and Portugal, and that's all so far. So that's, that's not a wide, wide range. Um, so I'm very pleased with the kind of reaction we're getting in Britain and Ireland because it means it'll get seen more. Mm. So that, that's really, I want it to be seen. I'm not interested essentially really in people's opinions unless they can tell me how to make a better film next time. Yeah. Um, but I am useful of those opinions as signs to indicate to someone that this is something that's authentic. 
that's a, that's a real film that you have to see. Mm. That's that's what I like about that reaction. Yes. Yeah. The whole the the, the just for a second on the the film festival process. The you apply to mm-hmm. a festival, so you send your movie to uh, these different committees and different festivals, and you get a yes. It's going to be shown this year or not. And can you if you if it doesn't get into I don't know, a particular festival, can you then send it again the following year? Or? Uh, typically not really. Um, I mean, I can tell you our, our route. I mean, I'm, I'm happy saying that we, we aimed actually for Sundance mm-hmm. originally yeah. uh, because Sundance is kind of the premier independent festival and we didn't have the sound finished at the time uh, right. but we sent it off. Um, and I think Berlin, South by Southwest, um, one other festival, they passed on it as well. And you don't know where it, where, it, where it's going to get shown. And we couldn't sell the film until it was getting released. And what happened was our sales agent actually wanted to start selling the film before it was at a festival. And so we came to an agreement that they would sell it at Cannes, which is right. also a market alongside a festival. Yeah. And so it was kind of a deadline. If it didn't get into Cannes, then suddenly it would be out, it would be sold, it would be online, there would be all sorts of things that could happen. And then other festivals like Toronto or Venice mightn't take it. So um, when Tribeca made the offer, we went, it's a really good festival, let's go for it. Funnily enough, on the same day Tribeca announced, uh, Cannes Directors Fortnight saw it and were very interested. Right. But they wouldn't take it because it was in Tribeca. Oh, okay. Which is a shame. And um, is it a downside to sell a movie before it gets to a festival because there wouldn't be as much hype about it then and you, could sell, you have to sell it for less? Is that it's, it's, it works two ways. You can end up underselling the movie. Uh, because it doesn't meet expectations or nobody cares about it when it gets there. Yeah. Um, but there is the chance to make, make more money uh, and to have a bigger release if you're creating a market around it, which is all territories available, and the bidding will begin the day after the press notices right, okay. come out. So that, that, that's the kind of ideal, uh, the ideal scenario. The challenge with Tribeca was there weren't a lot of international buyers there. Yeah. When it was in Cannes, it was a very strong year, um, and it was in the market, and there weren't a huge amount of buyers that saw it in the market either. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's very challenging. Um, it's one of the reasons why if you work within the studio system, yeah. there's no nonsense because you make a film, it's going to get released on, you know, tens of thousands of screens worldwide. You make an independent film and every sale can be a struggle. Maybe Netflix will change that and mm. Amazon because yeah. you can just sell a film to now and be sold everywhere with a theatrical window. Mm. Um, but it's a very risk-driven process with lots of intermediaries and very little control. And, the, and I, think, I think festivals are... Uh, they're unfortunately they're very political. Yeah. Uh, who your sales agent is, whether you've got stars in it, all these things are quite separate from the matters of quality alone. And particularly if you're a first timer, you don't have somebody advocating on your behalf saying you need to watch this and pay attention. It could be rejected by someone very junior rather than senior, mm-hmm. uh, and you've worked really really hard on something, and you know they make a they make a mistake. Uh, there's nothing you can do to undo it, and the life of your film has changed forever. So you can have people making offers or not making offers who haven't seen the film at all, based on oh, yeah. you, you know just who's talking Graphs about it. and charts and yeah, exactly. And faces and return, like speculated return on said person and said package and said director. It's all graphs, financial graphs. It's mad. It's mad. So yeah. it's not. You, you, it's going to be rare that you're going to have a guy sitting there at a screening in Cannes or Tribeca and go, yeah, I'm going to buy this movie, it's great. Well, well unless, he, unless he, is, uh, he has the power to do so, unless he, and if he loves the film, then yeah. maybe he'll take a punt on it. But usually these decisions are money-based. Right. And, and they're made in advance. Uh, and with, they're made with, in advance. If a commercial film, they pre-sell it, because let's say you can make a film for 10 million and you can sell it for 15, and you won't make any more money after the 15, that's 5 million to make, you put it in your back pocket. 
that's quite that's quite typical. Right. Um, that's that's one way producers can can make a lot of money, um, and then it can make a lot of money for the distributors it's sold to. Yeah. Mm. But it depends on the nature of the film. You, typically, some of the, the budget is coming from what's called pre-sales, which is you've sold the North American rights, and that's came in. Uh, but because we went with the best cast rather than the best known cast, um, and the film is unimaginable, I think, without Martin, um, it, you can't get pre-sales at that stage. I think now, actually, Marty might be worth something in terms of pre-sales, and there might be some packages Swanning around Berlin. Of tato. <laughs> <laughs> that was our offer. That was it. He's had me a tato. He's had me a tea. <laughs> um, so th- they might be going around now because he's made this and his face is everywhere in London, all mm. over the underground and on posters and things like this. And I think once people really see the performance, um, um, you know, Marty will get the heat he deserves. Mm. Um, you know, he's already got heat, but, you know, um, the temperature can go sky high, yeah. um, I-, I think, with the release. What was uh, what was it like doing coming off the back of four short films? I think you directed and then into a feature. Is it is it a massive step up or was it something that was always? It's not. It's not. It's we, not. Had, we had Magpie, which was like a soft bump because um, it was like a mini version of the film, effectively with m- many of the same crew, like our, our, okay. our cinematographer and the location. So it's just kind of the same thing for longer. Um, the big issue is the professionals, as I call them. The, you know, right. you, you, in Gorilla, you've films, even SLR, which was made with a producer called Matthew Matthew Wilkinson. Um, we had a great relationship. You know, I was heavily involved in the production with Man. On this one, it was much less the case, um, and I took advice on that. And the advice was sit sit back in the seat and 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 that offer people to do their jobs. But it has a big effect on the film. Yeah. It's a big effect on uh, how, how it comes out. The next one I'm doing is, is kind of a bigger budget film, much bigger budget. Um, but, uh, you know, I accept I will have a lot less control doing something like that. But if I was doing something uh, on a more modest scale again, um, I will be, I'll be co-producing because it's important to me. Okay. Uh, do you enjoy, do you think you're, you, you see yourself as doing independent films uh, forever, or would you? Oh like no, no, I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a uh, um, a film next, which will be distributed by a studio. Oh right, okay. Um, and um, it's an interesting process and a challenge. Okay. But I'm trying to make something for a mainstream audience. Okay. Right. Uh, with radical ideas at its core, and cool. so there's a kind of a Hollywood monomyth aspects of what you you need in your film to make it work. Um, the Survivors has got quite a radical structure because you have an entirely reactive character in Martin's in Martin's part. Um, you know, it's the women driving the story a lot of the time, and Martin having to be very clever in how he reacts to them. Um, and that's like the opposite of a typical Hollywood film, where mm. you have a, a man who sets out in a journey and you know starts kicking ass. Yeah. Uh, you know, in this it's inverted. Yeah. So you have to you have to change your story structure, and you've got to find a meaning for doing it because there's no reason in just making a big film. Otherwise, you'll get lost, and you'll wonder what happened. Mm. Um, Martin, you've also directed a film. I think fishbowl. Uh, well, small small projects. I've I've yeah. uh, I've, uh, I've dabbled in in, in the producing. Is that something you're things. interested in doing more in, of? In the future, you know, mm. I'm laying I'm laying small little uh, small little um, uh, pave, uh, you know small little steps now to right. maybe sometime in the future take a little bit more of a serious serious look at it. What can you? What did you learn from working with Stephen on on this film? Well, I learned how a good director works. Yeah. Um, uh, every director is different, and I think Stephen's got his own style, his own unique approach to things, and uh, his 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 style only only makes the project better. You know, I've worked with people before, and sometimes they try to 
bend your way mm. to, to, to suit their, their approach to filmmaking. But Steve's very flexible and uh, very open-minded. And uh, in that approach, he allowed me to be uh, the best I could be. Okay. And how's, how, how different is it being on a set like The Survivalist to say uh, one with Louis, <laughs> Louis Leterrier from... Louis Leterrier. Yes, yeah. Um, and well, I had, a very small, I had a very small role in Clash of Titans, but Clash of Titans is, you know, that was a 200 million or 200 million dollar, 250 million dollar uh, blockbuster yeah. budget. Um, so uh, the catering was much better. <laughs> was, um, although we had very fine catering on our film, actually. Okay. Because uh, the, the, the producers <laughs> oh, were on set. So no, kind of only, only during the day uh, that the BFI and, visited. Oh, really? uh, the catering <laughs> upped. I cannot tell you how many notches. <laughs> and I don't know why. No, so it was just a, but it was there just was lobsters, there was scallops, <laughs> yeah. there was oh, you know, it's more than a hint of bitterness in the voice there. I think. Oh, I just no. Well, I love my seafood, so okay. But <laughs> yeah. well, I actually learnt um, uh, a huge amount working with Martin mm. because um, I've always had kind of a challenging, you know, relationship with my leading man um, in terms of like I work with Liam Cunningham, who's a fantastic okay. actor. Yeah. And I was quite inexperienced in the way I, I worked with Liam because I had a very set approach. Um, and Liam is somebody who wants to define the way he approaches the role. He's a desire for conflict that he will create within a character or sometimes from without um, if he feels he can find them. And so my approach to working with Martin was I spoke to other directors he'd work with and, you know, to first of all get an insight. Oh, and then... I did my best to listen. I did my best to be responsive. Um, I did my best to see what would work and what, you know, what wouldn't work. And, you know, and I learned a lot from that and I was able then to direct other actors better as a result. So when I made Magpie, it was the first time I experienced the power of a deep uh, and trusting relationship uh, with uh, you know, an extremely powerful leading man. Mm. And, uh, and that, that, was, that was tremendous. And just watching... Um, uh, how Martin acts, knowing the different different levels or the different approaches he can take to a scene, and the different styles he can use, and really getting inside of that, I think uh, was 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 great. And I because I don't have any formal training as a director, mm. um, so that was that was a fantastic. Experience. Does it make you feel more, even though you're making you're directing the movie, that you're more involved in your own movie when you have a very close relationship to the perform, you know working with the lead actor as opposed to it's, it's tremendous power base um, yeah. if, you know if we're uh, if we're inseparable if you're if you're a director and you're your leading man um, we were are, singing off the same hymn sheet all, yeah. all, all, all the way you know yeah so whatever challenges you're up against you have the key elements of the production yeah um, working together so is this like the beginning of a Scorsese DiCaprio or Scorsese De Niro relationship well I'm, I'm looking forward to working with DiCaprio as soon as possible right <laughs> And, and uh, he's looking forward to working with Scorsese. I've, <laughs> I've been writing Martin letters since yeah. I, <laughs> one a day. Hopefully it'll be like that Shawshank Redemption yeah, thing yeah, yeah. where he comes and does a film with me just to shut me up. <laughs> Please stop sending letters. <laughs> who's, who's this? You're in Shutter Island too. Yes. Uh, Andy Dufresne writes a letter once a week to the library once he's, when he's in Shawshank. Yeah. And he writes a letter once a week for seven years. And they send him, just asking for books, and they send him a whole library of books and $500 just to stop him sending letters, you know. <laughs> that's, that, that's how I get most of my rules. <laughs> who do you, who do you, uh, 
who are the, the actors that you look up to or idolize? You, uh, you were nominated for an acting award alongside Liam Neeson, Killian Murphy, and Colomini. Well, I won that. And you one. won. Oh, there you go. <laughs> what kind of a moment is that? What kind of a moment is that like? Oh, you? it's great. It's great to be to be you know you know when your peers say, "Hey, we're we're watching what you're doing. We like what you're doing," and that's you know that that's always nice. Um, you know, I, I've much to learn. I'm still young, um, but I've been doing it a while now. So I th- I feel if I could do all the gigs over again, I would. You know. But that's hindsight's a wonderful thing. Mm. Um, I'll always critique what I do. Um, Irish actors, who do I look up to? Um, I think Jordan McSorley's a powerful actor. Um, very powerful actor. Um, obviously, you got to say Liam Neeson. You got to mm. say, um, you know, your Liam Cunninghams, your um, Killian Murphy. There's a lot of people to look up to mm. and to uh, admire. You know, we've had great. You know, we punch well above our weight for the size of our country. Yeah. There's great people to look up to. There's no shortage of that. No shortage of that. Um, how do you think this year with the, what is it, nine Oscar nominations or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that'll kind of follow on for the next few years with increased funding and uh, people paying more attention? And Well, you'd, you'd, you'd hope so. Mm. You know, is this a golden age? Is, is this a golden era? Is this fluke? Is this, you know, obviously you've got your Lenny Abrahams, Abrahamsons that come along and, 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 and help, you know, raise the point that, you know, hey, we do have a lot of talent here in Ireland. You've got your Stephen Fingletons. You've got great directors coming along and saying, look what we can do. Mm. But is the money there? Is the money there to do it next year? Is the money there to do it, do it the year after? I don't well, know. I've actually, I've actually a point to make about elements who are the most successful production company. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a controversial point. No, you know, Ed, 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 Ed is up for, you know, an Oscar, you know, because the producer gets the Oscar for Best Picture. Right. Um, Lenny is making films because of his relationship with Ed and because they were, you know, childhood, you know, friends and they want to make films together. And um, Lenny has had the space and the opportunity to define a style, to take risks. Uh, to grow into making a project which can be such a tremendous and international success. Um, there are uh, other filmmakers, for example, like myself, I've been around a long time making movies, uh, 10 years, um, and there's been a complete lack of interest uh, from Irish producers in doing my work, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, there are a couple of producers I know, uh, you know quite well who would have been a good partner in Survivalist had we done it in the South. But aside from that, a complete lack of interest. Right. And why do you think that is? There's a short-sightedness, which is they look at the individual project and they say, it's not that commercial. Guy in the woods, two women, I don't know. You know, they're, they're thinking, but they're not thinking the relationship because Ed's power with Lenny comes from the investment he's made in him over time. And they don't think about that. And I literally had somebody say to me, uh, we're not going to do this one. We'll do your second. And it's, you know, it's, it doesn't make any sense at well, all. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. Um, when you make a good film, come back then, and I'll be your mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. When you, yeah, you know, when you've when you've got a bit of credibility behind you. But um, the problem is, Hollywood are too smart, and they will be all over it. And maybe I don't want to make big films, and that's your hope. That'll be that'll be small time. Is that is that what you're waiting for? Yeah. That you that you want somebody who will make a film on your scale, and. Even the whole process of being a director 
and going out to these companies. And they're like, well, you should want to make a film of us. Why? So how does it work? You get the whole rights. You choose how the profits uh, go down. Uh, you select the HODs. You have final cut. And I'm, I'm meant to be pitching you to make my movie? Mm. Why? Yeah. Why? Um, and it's, it's, it's because, I guess, the way the industry's pitches, oh, you should be so lucky to make movies. I am not lucky to make movies. I worked very hard at learning my craft and making films better and making them for an audience. Luck has nothing to do with it. Yeah. It was time, time's pressure, um, you know, time's the ability to get better at what I was doing. Um, but there is this attitude that you should be grateful and that if you get a chance to do any of these things, uh, and, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's an attitude of control. Because it's like, well, we're going to pay you a wage to work on your film. You know, it's outrageous. Yeah. I don't even want a wage. I want my living costs covered. I want ownership. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you the story. And this is how difficult it is. I um, had a film a few years ago at the Galway Fla called Sheeran. And um, it was screened. And basically, I'm very surprised by this, but development people in Ireland, people looking for projects, they don't go to, sh to short film screens despite the fact it's probably a great place mm. yeah. to see. Seems but there strange. was someone there from a company, and they emailed me after, and they said, you know, you were very rude to me after the screen, and I came up, and, you know, you didn't seem that interested in talking. I had no, I had no idea of it, but they said, look, I, I thought your short was one of the best short films I've ever seen. And I said, really? And, and they said, yeah, and we'd love you to come in. And so I come in for a meeting, and we're chatting, and they say, okay, so do you have any scripts? And at the time, The Survivalist was an open project. I was looking for summer. It's a small, achievable film, entirely IFB-friendly. And they said, okay, I'm going to look at the script. And they sent it to the boss. And they knew already, and I screened BFI, very interested. A lot of credibility. And they got back and they said, um, you know, you know we, think, we think it's a, you know, it's a great script. Um, but, you know, we're, uh, we're not interested because it's, it's, uh, it's not commercial enough. Okay. And, and that was regarded as, 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 uh, at the time by, by development people and peers as, as, as the best unmade script in Britain and Ireland. Right. Under, because they've gone to the Brit list, okay? Yeah. So even with that, one of the best shorts they'd seen, in their opinion, I'm not saying whether that's true, I'm saying this is what they said, mm. plus a the script that had... of two government bodies. Yeah. Plus ha most of the money. And it's not like you were looking for 25 million to make Yeah, you know, exactly. You know? Okay. And do you know what that was? That was a stupid mistake. Yeah. And they were the only ones in Ireland, aside from those two producers I later met, too late unfortunately, um, to, 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 to bring on board as much as I would have liked to have had. Mm. And that is an, an indictment. Yeah. And Lenny succeeds because of his partnership with Ed and their investment in each other and the short-sightedness and the arrogance of them because they're sitting on the other side of the desk thinking, you know, Pitch me, pitch me, pitch you, I'll punch you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you pitch me, yeah. you pitch uh, me, uh, come on, I'm losing interest, I'm going to walk out the door, come on, tell uh, me, tell me. Just go in with a, with a, with a massive glove, you know, a uh, uh, baseball glove, pitch me. <laughs> look, look, and here's, here's, what, here's what it needs to be, it needs to be, I want to work with you forever. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm looking for, I am looking for the collaborators, I'm looking for that deep investment, I want to work with you forever, Okay. And I've had that experience of late, and it meant something very, very, very real. Yeah. So that's where I think, um, that's where I think things, can, um, uh, things can really, really work. Instead of being exploited, 
and instead of not having ownership over your movie, your partners in crime um, taking, taking, taking money by the shed load from audiences for making great work, and you have a shared vision. That's uh, where uh, the industry needs to work, and Ed and Lenny show what you can do. Yeah. Well, that's an outstanding way Power to, to the people. Yeah. <laughs> Power to the people. <laughs> There's, um, a le- there's an election coming up. You should, yeah, uh, yeah. You should be on a few posters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think um, uh, you know uh, politicians are about as trustworthy as the uh, you know as as as, as you know as the people steal, steal the you. Yeah. As as, as 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 getting getting the revenues from your movie at some point in time. Yeah. You're very right. You're very it's very true. Uh, that was, that was the oil will collapse before <laughs> that happens. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That was great. It was great talking to you. Uh, we have we, we got to go now, but thank you very much. And, you. Um, no and I really loved the film. So thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So that was episode 32 of the Headstuff podcast with Stephen Fingleton and Martin McCann. Uh, I'm still here with Connor. Hello. Didn't mention in the intro that we're sitting in my apartment. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, it's nice just, Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, it's your first time. Your first time seeing the apartment? Yeah, very nice. Very impressed. It's a good, good spot. Yeah, yeah, nice comfortable couches. Yep. Good yeah. array of... Oh, nice awards over there. Oh, yes. What's that for? Blog award. Best uh, best arts and, arts and culture blog. Really? Headstuff.org. Yeah, yeah. Is it a blog? Well, it was for the purposes of that award ceremony. Ah, <laughs> okay. So you kind of cheated your way into a... Well, I don't know. It's like when the Martian won best comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, I don't know. Some people call it a blog. Some people call it a website. Either way, it looks pretty nice. It's pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. So there's also other awards that we don't need to go into detail about. Really? Uh, Tell me more. Actually, what's that big one in the back there? Uh, and my housemates. They're all very. They're <laughs> so all, not yours then. They're all very high achieving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so you have it kind of really tucked away there in the corner. If I had a nice glass award like that, you know, I'd have it. As soon as you open the door, it would just be kind of hanging down, right, yeah, right, yeah, right in front of your face. Look at <laughs> well, this. We, all, we have all these like two hundred DVDs that we're trying to get rid of that uh, that take up all the space. You're so not going to sell them on this podcast. If anyone <laughs> wants to buy a load of DVDs, we'll do you a good deal. We've got good DVDs in there. Unfortunately, we don't have the survivalist, which you should go and see. What about that for a segue? Yo, nice. Um, yeah, because that's not out yet. It's in the cinemas, so go yeah. see that. It's uh, it's definitely playing in the IFI. I'd love to see it in the cinema, actually. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. worth seeing in the cinema. It's really good. Um, and it, it it does kind of show the uh, it, it, the the talent that we have in this country. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's an, it's an Irish Northern Irish production, and um, it's it's just really really well made. Uh, so we've got I think we've got a star in the making there in that writer director Stephen Fingleton. Um, I think he's going to go on and do and do great things, and he's got the kind of I think he's got the kind of personality for it as well. Yeah, big success in that industry. Yeah, <laughs> um, and Martin McCann is already kind of. Uh, He's already kind of trailblazing in his uh, in his acting. Um, Rightly so as well. Yeah. yeah, he's he's really good. He's been in lots of stuff. I mean, he, he, as he says in the in the interview, there he's got a small role in Clash of the Titans, which is obviously a big blockbuster. Uh, he's also in the Pacific, which that that Steven Spielberg. Um, I still have to watch that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it either, but he's he's in a lot of stuff. He was in uh, Kill, uh, Killing Bono, where he plays. Yeah, I and mean, he noticed that afterwards. Bono. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he won an acting award uh, in which he was nominated uh, alongside Liam Neeson, Killian Murphy, and Colin Meany, and he won. That's so, good. I mean, this guy is is going to be a big deal as well. So, um, and SLR didn't realize afterwards as well because mm. I do all my research after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, like 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 all the the best podcasts hosts do. Yeah, I think the, the best way to do it is you do the research before. I'll do it afterwards when it doesn't matter. Um, but SLR won. Oh no, sorry, it was shortlisted for 
an Oscar for best short. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, 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 some of the shorts have, have won awards, and they've all been in a lot of film festivals and things. So they've, they've been doing yeah. well. So yeah, go and watch the Survivalist, um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you did, it'd be great if you could rate us on iTunes um, and give us a, and leave a bit of feedback there. That'd be really good. Um, and you can join the the Headstuff Podcast Network group on Facebook. If you just type that into Facebook, you'll find us. Uh, follow Headstuff on Twitter and Facebook. Um, thanks to uh, Wilkins Sound Systems and Connor there for the sounds. It's okay. All them pretty sounds. Thanks to uh, Video Blue for the theme tune and to Mikey for the artwork. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, if you want to buy those DVDs, get in touch. Okay, bye. <laughs>